Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Thanks for inviting me back. Um, It's been good to be here. It's my third time I've got to be here since February. And I feel like I'm getting to know some of you and running into others of you in in unique places. I was at a wedding last weekend, and Aaron was in the wedding that my wife's niece got married in up in Mammoth, so that was really fun. And uh, just getting to meet others of you this morning, I feel like you're becoming part of my family, or I'm becoming part of your family. That'd be a better way to say that. So what a great um, time to be back. Um, I'm looking forward to, to knowing when Boog comes back next week, um, how that's going to go. I, I know as you, many of you fasted for him last week, how awesome that is to pray and to fast for someone's needs like that, but just to continue to pray for him and his health and all that's involved with that. So um, yeah, we're jumping back into this series called The Way, okay? We've been doing it for Five weeks, I guess this is week six now that we've been doing it, and I got to kick it off like five weeks ago, and then um, John Eshelman has been carrying that, well, Esh, I think you know him as, everybody's got nicknames around here, there's Boog, there's Esh, and I feel like I'm really in need of a name, so if you could give me like, maybe it should be Bish, my last name is Bischoff, but that's a little difficult to say, uh, Bish, when Boog, Esh, and Bish went out to the, don't say that ten times fast. That could be a little difficult. Anyway, this is a series on spiritual disciplines, practices, habits, things that we do. These are, these are tools in your tool belt to help you to become a follower of the smartest person that ever lived, Jesus. It is not easy to follow the things that Jesus said to do. And uh, it's more difficult in our day and age, I think, than ever. And yet, I believe with all my heart that following these practices will help you to do just that. Not because you tried harder, because that doesn't work, okay? And these things don't make you more spiritual. We've tried to be really clear about that. And that's really hard because we tend to think, I'm going to do something for God, I'm going to look more spiritual, therefore I'm going to become more spiritual. It doesn't work that way with spiritual disciplines or practices, or these kinds of things. As we've said over and over, we're trying to live in a different kind of way, a way that looks more like Jesus, a way that would make people go, I don't get what they're doing, but I really like it, and I feel like I want my family to live like that. Um, That's what we're talking about, and there's no easy way to explain that, so we're trying to sneak up on it with some different practices. And um, Ash did a great job with silence. I loved what he said and shared about silence. Hopefully some of you are trying to practice some of these things. He talked about meditation and what does it mean to be able to get our minds on God all the time through meditation, fasting, uh, simplicity, um, and hopefully you're feeling like you're beginning to get the hang of how some of these things can help you become a different kind of person. Again, you're not trying harder. You're trying to become the kind of person that normally and naturally can do the things that if you open your Bible and read and you go, I can't do that. But you can do these other things that you've been learning about. And here's the promise. Doing those things will help you to then when you open your Bible and read and go, I can't do that. You're going to go, I think I can do that. But it came out of you naturally rather than trying harder. Does that make sense? 
That's what we're trying to get at. It's called indirection. You're not directly trying to accomplish it. You're indirectly trying to live a different kind of life. Now, there's no complete list of spiritual disciplines. Uh, There are classical spiritual disciplines that have been written about by some great and godly people. Richard Foster, one of the books that we've been using for this series, uh, wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. Dallas Willard uh, wrote The Spirit of the Disciplines. There are some others. Adele Calhoun wrote a great handbook on spiritual disciplines. Those are kind of some classical spiritual disciplines. Then there's what I like to call contemporary disciplines. These are things that arise out of a need. You look in your life and you figure out, where are you failing? Where are you blowing it? Where are you struggling? And then figure out, what would I need to do in order to stop blowing it in that area, to get a little bit stronger in that area? Almost like if you were to go to the gym and say, what muscle's really weak? What do I need to focus on in terms of that muscle? That's what we're looking at here. And I want to choose a contemporary discipline this morning, very different than the four that you've heard about for the last four weeks. I want to talk about mourning, mourning, okay? What psychologists might call grieving. And some of you go, never heard a sermon on that before. Good. That's a good thing. If you haven't, that means we're going to touch some new and fresh territory here. It's also one that makes people squirm a little bit because we don't like to be sad. We like to be happy, right? We want to be able to rise above things and to be happy. Well, hang on to that for a bit because I think things are going to come full circle for you. Grieving or mourning is such an important part of our lives, and yet we in America suck at, at, at doing this well. We do not do it well, right? It's the process of feeling and expressing deep grief or sorrow. That's all that it is. It's a process of healing and letting go, of giving yourself permission to be sad. Grief is the toughest pain we have to deal with. It's the most difficult for us to enter into voluntarily, which, if you want to know the truth, is the only way to get into it. You have to choose to do it. Because else you can fight it, you can stay in denial, you can go, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to mourn. And grieving is the way God has designed for us. If you catch nothing else today, catch this. It's the way for, that God has designed for us to deal with loss, with loss, okay? Now, I want to just brainstorm here for a minute. What are some of the losses that we might experience in our life, okay? Because it's not only the loss of persons that leads to grief and mourning, but also the loss of ideals, of visions, of plans, of places, of relationships, even of youth itself. Some of you that are a little bit older in here know what I'm talking about, right? You lose some things and you go, I can't do that anymore. That's a loss, Think about the vast array of losses we accumulate in a lifetime. Let me just share some. Death of a loved one, death of a dream, death of a season of life, death of a relationship, death of a plan, divorce, rape, abuse, failure, not attaining the love or approval of a significant person, infertility, not being the person you wish you were, someone we love who betrays us, cataclysmic events, loss of health, Financial problems, feeling stuck in a job or a career, not getting accepted to the school you desire. So if you're taking notes somewhere or you got a pen or you take notes on your phone, I'd like you to just take a minute and write down one or two losses that you feel like you're experiencing right now or recently have, okay? I'm not going to ask you to share these. I just want you to like either jot them down or put them in your phone as a little reminder, however you're taking notes. Just take a minute to do that.
Okay, hopefully you got at least one, maybe just in your mind that you're thinking about it, or one's going to come up as we talk over the next few minutes about it. But this isn't helpful if you can't identify what the loss or losses are in your life, okay? We all experience them. That's why I gave you that long list. We often don't define them as loss, though, and then it messes with us emotionally, and that's why it's important to understand. Sometimes loss is so difficult because we fail to distinguish between good loss and bad loss, or good suffering and bad suffering, okay? Let me give you an illustration of that. If you walk to your car tonight in a dark parking lot, and a guy with a mask walked up to you, took out a knife, stabbed you in the stomach, took all your money, and left you in an unconscious state, you would call him a mugger. Someone would call the police, and they would try to find the criminal, right? But if you left this gathering, drove down the street to the local hospital, and a guy with a mask came to you in a brightly lit room, took out a knife, cut your stomach open, took all your money, and left you in an unconscious state, you would call him a doctor and thank him for helping you. One is a mugging, the other is surgery. Suffering is a lot like that, okay? There is good suffering and destructive suffering at the hands of evil people. And the key is to be able to tell the difference between the two and apply the right kind of experience to each one, okay? You following with that? That's really important to understand. And I think too often in the church, many churches, um, people have been mugged. And then they've been told that God is trying to teach them a lesson or that they're going, what they're going through is a result of their own sin or that it's part of your growth process. That is not helpful. That is not healthy. Spiritualizing or hiding behind your faith in the Bible is something that many people can do. Let's not do that. Let's commit to never doing that, okay? You ever known someone that everything is just like, oh, praise God, he's good, you know? You, How are you doing today? And you share, I'm, I'm not doing very well, okay? I'm sick with the flu. Oh, praise God, it gives you a chance to stay home, you know? But everything, it was just a little syrupy. You ever met someone like that? I, uh, yeah, someone sitting around you maybe. Um, <laughs> There's verses we even use in the Bible that we use as weapons against other people. You know, rejoice in the Lord always. Anybody tell you that? Uh, in everything, give thanks. Um, all things work together for good, that those who love God. Now, those are great scriptures, right? But to take them out of context to someone in pain and try to shove it down their throat, that doesn't feel very good, does it? Maybe someone's done that to you. Let's commit just never doing that to each other. That's how you become a safe place, a safe church. I have a feeling that branches and, and you all as a community are, are a lot like that, that you are a safe place for each other. And let's try to figure out how to never shove something like that down somebody's throat. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, author, wrote The Emotionally Healthy Church. He said this about uh, grieving and and mourning. People in our churches minimize their failures and disappointments. The result is that for many today, at least in prosperous North America, there's a widespread inability to face pain. This has led to an overall feeling of superficiality and a lack of profound compassion. Isn't that interesting? How many of you have ever experienced pain? Can I see your hand? This is one that we're all in together, right? Every single one of us here has experienced it to some degree, some way more than others. But when we minimize that or ignore it or try to fix it or try to shortchange it, it just doesn't work. Bottom line, we don't understand the need for mourning in our lives, for mourning. 
Got another, here's where I kind of left off last time when I was with you a month ago. I put a picture of my mom on the screen, and I got a picture of my mom again because this is, I kind of walked through this with you in a journey because in February, the first time I got to speak here, my mom was here with me. Two weeks earlier, she had had a stroke that after an MRI showed massive brain degeneration in her brain. Her brain is hanging on a thread, the neurologist said. She doesn't have a lot longer to live. And that happened just a few months ago when I got to be here with you for the first time. And over the last several months, it has been the saddest, hardest, darkest time in my life. Uh, friends that know me know I, I'm just not in a good place. Um, they'll ask, how you doing? And I just, I, I'm just not good. I have a tough time finding any energy in that. It is a time of loss. Death happens. We know that. We're all going to die one day. That's another one. We all have pain. We're all going to die. Sorry for the cherry sermon this morning. But <laughs> if we don't understand that, we can't embrace what God wants us to embrace about living and about health and about happiness and about growing and all those other things in between. But when we get to the place where we have to struggle with someone's dying, as I am with my mom Mary right now, it's just a dark time. Now, I can make some choices. I can deny that. I can try to shove it out of my mind, or I can try to embrace the sacredness that death is just as much a part of life. And that's hard, and I'm working on it, I'm, but I'm doing, I'm trying to do it with the very thing I wanted to share about this morning. So this has really flown out of my daily experience right now. And um, thanks for giving me a chance to do that with you. Um, yeah, normally it's, uh, you don't get a chance to speak and actually allow a congregation to kind of help you work through something. You never want to use a congregation as your therapist, but I can't afford a therapist, so this morning you guys are, <laughs> be a little bit of my therapist, no. Um, but it is helpful to talk about. I love talking about this with you. Another picture here is of an interesting one because it indicates how underneath the waterline is so much more than what we can see above the waterline, right? Many of you probably seen this picture before, but the iceberg is a fascinating illustration that what you can see is not all there is. And that's what we deal with when we talk about something like loss. What you can see is not all there is. You can see an event, you can see a pain, you can see a tragedy or a hurt, but you never know all that's underneath in that person's heart, emotions, or soul, okay? And you only know yours. There's no way you can really expose all the hurt and pain that's in your soul or in your heart. God knows. Thank God that he knows. But even your spouse, closest friend, doesn't know the depth of that pain. It's a little bit like the iceberg, what lays under the surface. And we want to talk about some of that this morning so that that iceberg can become a little bit more understandable, if you will, about what's underneath that waterline, okay? Um, mourning, by the way, is mentioned in the Bible over a hundred times, okay? This is an interesting way to talk about a spiritual discipline because it is all over the Bible, okay? We're not going to look at all those. But I wanted to hone in on just one person, Jesus. Jesus understood this, okay? A prophecy, Isaiah 53, verse 3, prophecy about Jesus, it calls him a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Grief. There's that word grieving. Okay, I'm kind of using mourning and grieving interchangeably here. On the cross, as Jesus died, one of those phrases that he said, you know which one I'm talking about? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was he doing? He was mourning the incredible loss of everything, all of the sin that was on him 
that would eventually become to our gain, but yet Jesus understood pain more than any of us ever will. So I want to go through a passage of Scripture this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up or phone or however you look. Or if anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand and somebody can hand you a Bible from the back if you need one or want one. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. The story of David, 2 Samuel 12 verses 13 to 23 is what we're going to look at, okay? Now let me set it up just a little bit and then we're going to hop into it and just kind of go verse by verse and talk about mourning through the story of David. But what happened was David, king of Israel, the second king of Israel, was a man after God's own heart. God loved him and he loved God. He was in charge of the entire army of Israel and they were doing a pretty good job winning the battle most of the time. Well, one night, when kings were supposed to be out at war, interestingly enough, it says in the Bible, he was on his roof, the roof of the palace, the king's palace, and he's just kind of hanging out probably in the cool of the breeze, and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba, okay? Bathsheba was sort of skinny dipping in the jacuzzi, and he notices it, and he likes what he sees, and he summons his assistants to get her and bring her to the palace, and they do. And he sleeps with her, and she conceives, and she becomes pregnant. And he's like, oh, no, wow, there's some serious consequences here. And so rather than deal with it directly, he realizes she has a husband. And her husband named Uriah, okay, was a Hittite, and he was fighting with the the Israel's army, and was a faithful, faithful soldier. So he's got a plan, though. He's going to bring him home. So he brings Uriah home from the battlefield, and he tells the chief commander, and he says, um, no, first he says to Uriah, he says, um, uh, I want you to spend some time here at home. Go be with your wife. You know, he's trying to get him to go hook up that evening. But he's so faithful, Uriah, he sleeps outside that night, and he's like, how could I go and sleep inside when, when the Lord's tabernacle is in tents? God is traveling around in tents, I can't. so he sleeps outside like a dog. He won't even go in to see his wife. That's the kind of guy that he is. Well, David's realizing my plan's not going to work, okay? She's pregnant, and I can't get her together with her husband, so something else is going to happen. So he tells the commander, send Uriah into battle and then pull all the forces back, leave him out there so that he'll be killed. And that's exactly what happens. He intentionally has Uriah murdered in battle so that he could cover it up. Bathsheba then becomes David's wife. She bears him a son, and it says this displeased the Lord. You think? Displeased the Lord. So the Lord sends a prophet to David. And, and the prophet Nathan confronts David with what had just happened, the story that I just tell you. And if you want to read that, that's in 2 Samuel 11, the whole chapter before what we're going to look at right now, okay? So let's jump into the story and see what we can learn about mourning from the life of David, okay? It says, then David said to Nathan, after he had just been confronted by Nathan the prophet about all these things, I have sinned against the Lord. Mourning is necessary because of sin and the fallen world we live in, okay? In this case, it was David's sin that brought pain and brought consequences and brought suffering. That isn't always the case in our lives, okay? So make sure you understand this. In fact, one of the most important points you could take away is that there's really two kinds of sin, right? There's sin done by us, and that obviously brings consequences into our lives, and needs mourning to bring us to a place of repentance so that we turn the other way and stop doing those things that are causing that. But 
maybe more importantly to understand, there's sin done to us. To us. And a lot of times that gets ignored. When we've been sinned against over time, in our childhood, by our parents, by a spouse, by some people that call ourselves friends in the workplace, maybe by strangers. But it's interesting because we take that sometimes and we internalize it and we often blame ourselves for the sin that we had nothing to do with but was directed at us by someone else's evil behavior. Like that story I told you earlier, right? The difference between good suffering and bad suffering. That is bad suffering. So you've got to understand that. But because of sin in the world, whether it's our own or other people's directed to us, and just the reality that we live in a fallen, broken, messed up, screwed up world, we've got to spend some time mourning because of that. That's the reality. And that's one of the only answers to when people say, why is there so much evil in the world? Because it's broken. It's broken. But the good news is God wants to take it and unbreak it. He's redeeming his creation in such a way that he's bringing it back to rights, the way it should be. I love that thought. But that's one of the first reasons we need it, because of the fallen world that we live in. Let's keep going. In verse 13, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. That's good news. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. That's not good news. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. There's going to be great loss here. So mourning is the best response to loss. Okay, I said that a minute ago, but this is so key to understand. Mourning is the best response to loss. In fact, did you know that depression is a result of when we often fail to adjust to the losses in our life? And we experience the most common of depressions, which is called a reactive depression, okay? There's two kinds of depressions, an endogenous depression, which is a biological, chemically-based depression, the kind that medication can help and is good if you see a psychiatrist, okay? And many of you probably know about that. Thank God that there is the ability to help um, medically with certain drugs apply to an endogenous or biological depression. Then... And here's what you really need to understand. There's another kind of depression, a reactive depression. And a reactive depression has to do with many of the things we talked about this morning. Loss in relationships, okay? Loss of a job, all those kinds of things that can send us into a place of depression. And here's the key. If you don't mourn the losses that are in your life, one of the most natural consequences is depression, it's almost like a built-in little deal that God built in there to force us to get to a low place so that we can mourn the way we should and let go, and let go of the losses in our life. You following? Does that make sense? That is so important to understand, and one of the reasons I want you to see this as a spiritual discipline, because if you can do it as such, you can actually mourn when a loss comes in and then be able to let go and see what God does with the pain when that happens. Verse 16. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. This helps us to know that mourning involves outward actions. You say, so, so Michael, how do I mourn? How do I do this discipline? There's no one right way to do it, okay? But there are some examples, okay? So what do you see David do here? He does a few things. Prayer, he goes to God. Fasting, lack of comfort, 
he chooses on his own, okay? We usually hold funerals like when someone dies, but we also need to mourn other things. The problem is that we don't often see those experiences losses, so we stay in a place of denial or protest for a long time. We need to learn to feel our feelings. That's what mourning is trying to help you do. It's putting you in a place where you can learn to feel your feelings. The ancient Hebrews physically expressed their grief in all kinds of ways. This is so fascinating to me. They would tear their clothes, okay, as a sign of mourning. They would put on sackcloth, which was like black coarse grain sack with goat's hair on it. Imagine wearing that. That'll make you mourn if nothing else will, right? They would take off their jewelry. Their head might be covered in order to just kind of be in a covered place. They would go barefoot. They would put ashes and dust and dirt on themselves. Um, actions, they would fast. Sometimes it involved instruments. And all these are like from biblical references that I could give you or you could look them up later. Weeping and wailing, groaning, beating the chest, bowing of the head, lifting up hands, lying or sitting in silence. In fact, in the latter part of the Old Testament, paid professional mourners, usually women, took an important place in mourning rituals. They were called the mourning women, okay? How'd you like to do that, you know? You can hire a lot of things today, but it's like, I don't feel like mourning, so look, you know, look it up, Google, mourners. Can you mourn for me for a while? Because I'm just not into it. That's what they would actually do. People to come around them and do some of these actions, so it would be like, hey, you know, I can be sad together. We can have a sad party, We just can't relate to that, right? But to be able to be around some people that understand what mourning is. Ecclesiastes 7 says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Interesting. Let's go on in the story. Verse 17. It says, the elders of his household stood beside him, David, to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Another principle about mourning, mourning might not be understood by those around you. People around you just might not get it, okay? Um, I I did this uh, a number of years ago when I was going through a pretty sad time, dark time in my life. I thought I'd practice mourning, and so I would literally do some of these practices. I would wear black, I would um, just kind of put on a sad face, I wouldn't I just wouldn't make, force myself to be happy. And people would ask me, how are you doing? And when I'd answer, I'm not doing very well, the typical response I got was, oh, great, that's good. Helping me know that people often don't listen to a thing that we say. They're just not connected there. People don't understand. And when they might listen or hear, they don't know what to do with it. So it's more likely that they'll ignore you. So give yourself permission to mourn. Give others permission to mourn. What bonds us as followers of Jesus living in community really more than anything else is our brokenness. It's our pain. It's not all the successes and the joys. It's that we're broken people on a journey to becoming whole because of Jesus. That's the good news. And mourning is only done in community. It's a relational experience. In Romans, it says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. 
You know, that's why I think God puts tear ducts in our eyes so that pain can be seen eye to eye. Have you ever known that? And it's, it's sort of sad because when we cry often, we want to do what? We put our head down, we want to cover it, we want to wipe it away and turn away. When in reality, could it be that God wants us to cry in the presence of others in community so that they see our pain and our sadness and are able to feel a bit of what we're feeling? Think about that the next time you cry or you're around someone that's crying. And let it be a process of mourning that can be a beautiful thing. Verse 20. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. This is good news. Mourning is for a time. It's not forever. It's for a period of time. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. It's temporary. Then he went to his house, verse 20, and at his request they served him food and he ate. Verse 21, his servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. One last thought about morning. Morning will change our perspective, but not our circumstances, okay? It's meant to change our perspective, but not our circumstances. Romans chapter 5 says, But we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. See, good suffering has a purpose. And did you know that mourn is a love word? We mourn over the loss of what is valuable to us. When the Jews saw Jesus weeping, for example, over Lazarus' death, they said, see how he loved him? The fact that Jesus mourned over Lazarus showed that he loved him deeply. When we mourn, it helps us understand how much we love. Well, let me give you a few suggestions, and then we're done. Just a couple practical ones. Again, hopefully you got some ways from that passage of Scripture, and if you want, go back and read 2 Samuel 11 and 12 again, helping you to understand the context a little better. But I think you've got to do some things. One, designate a period of time for mourning. Some of you were able to readily think of what that loss is in your life right now, or maybe there's even more than one. Figure out a time in your life when you can actually mourn that loss, okay? Usually not a day, but more like several weeks, even months. And your goal is to just allow yourself to be sad and grieve over those losses. You sometimes need to change the pace of your life to do this. Avoid feeling pressure by others to be happy. And just allow yourself to remain in that process of mourning as long as you need to. It's just a time where you can... Review that loss. Talk about it openly. Think about it thoroughly. Write about it reflectively. Pray about it intensely. So give yourself some time. Maybe even on your calendar, take a day or two and just put mourning. And that's a day you plan to practice mourning over the loss or losses in your life. A second one, and I've kind of said it already, but allow yourself to cry. Allow yourself to cry. If you've got difficulty with this one, as many of us do, okay, guys especially, some of us just were... Taught growing up, men don't cry. 
Okay? Maybe that's one of the things at the men's retreat you got to do is have a big cry fest when you go to the men's retreat. Just get together and cry. You know, chop some onions together or something. One of the things I like to just watch something sad. You know, that's why guys don't like to watch chick flicks because they make you cry and then you don't feel as manly anymore. Find a, you know, a movie or a TV show or something that can help you get to the point of tears and let yourself just feel it. Read the Psalms of Lament. We can't get into this because we don't have time. But more than half, there's 150 psalms in the Bible, more than half of them are psalms of lament. And in your Bible, it'll often say lament at the top. And all that means is that they're songs, psalms of mourning and sadness. You can use some of those to help you see the realness, the authenticity, the rawness of what the psalmist in the Bible wrote. David wrote many of those. He understood sadness. We saw one story from his life this morning. And you can read some of those. They're just important. Find a group or a friend where you can mourn in community. That's a good thing, to have a friend where you can say, hey, can I call you when I'm down? Or a group of people that's safe enough when they say, how's it going? You can tell them exactly how it's going in your life. And then finally, grief is a liminal space where God can fill the tragic gap with something new and totally unexpected. There's something on the other end. You don't know what it is. And the process cannot be rushed. So don't rush yourself. But just know, the situation with my mom, I know that as she works through pain and dying and eventually passes away and goes to be with Jesus, there's something obviously on the other side for her, and I know there is for me as well. I look forward to that. I don't know what it is because I'm in pain right now because of it. But there's something good on the other side. Hold on to that. And one of the things I find amazing is that researchers have now found that you cannot become happy by pursuing happiness. I was reading some reports on this specifically related to pastors in ministry and leaders in ministry and their low level of happiness. But one of the reasons is because we often try so hard to try to become happy, right? We think we can make ourselves happy. But the way to happiness is never to try harder being happy. I think that mourning is one of those practices that even though it sounds really odd, kind of upside down, that as you understand mourning, and mourning helps you let go of loss, a different kind of deeper, truer happiness sits on the other side of it. God, help us all to understand what you're doing in our lives and what uh, we all experience as broken people because we live in a fallen and broken world. I pray for each one here. I know if we could just break up into groups right now, which we don't have time to do, I wish we could. Maybe some of us should just hang, hang a little bit longer uh, this morning after and be able to share with some people what we're thinking or what we're feeling because that's the place you want us to be where we trust, where we can trust someone else with the deep pain that we experience. God, allow us to just hold it out there, give it to you, share it with others, reflect on it so that we can let it go, so that we don't end up in places of depression or fear or anxiety or worry, but as we work through it, we can give greater and greater trust to you and feel the love of others that can surround us during a time of mourning. That's what we ask in Jesus' name, amen.